Harrison Price for Monday, December 4th, 2023. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're heading to a game this week, make a staycation out of it. Book your stay at the Wall Center. Call 604-331-1000. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price, Grace Sass, Hidden Switches, conducting things. This show, presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Richmond has the Rogue, the best-selling Nissan Rogue, ready for you. Finance it from 3.99%. That's 3.99%. Go take one for a test drive and find out what everybody else loves about that Nissan Rogue at Applewood Nissan in Richmond. It's all good at Applewood. Yeah, and I uh, understand it was a very successful uh, Toy Mountain in support of the Lower Mainland Christmas Bureau at Guilford Town Center last week. Applewood heavily involved. There, I heard our old friend Ray Grover talking about it towards the end of today on Friday with tens of thousands of dollars raised and all sorts of toys for kids this Christmas under the tree. Poll question, who is the best player at Rogers Arena Tuesday? Big showdown. Canucks and Devils, the Hughes Hughes brothers, three of them, on the same NHL ice surface. So Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, or you can vote other. Specify if you do in reply. Vote at Sikharsen Price on Twitter and YouTube. I voted Quinn Hughes. Uh, yeah, and I think you and everybody else and their dog is also voting that, which well, is surprising you know, to me. I mean, um, he is clearly the leader in the early voting, but Jack and Elias are getting uh, their fair share, or I, at least a share. I'm more intrigued that uh, they... Elias Pettersson is third in this voting right now. Mm. Jack's outperforming Elias Pettersson. Look, it was not a very good month of November for Elias Pettersson. In fact, he had six multi-point games in October. He had but two in November, and both were early in the month. So it was good to see him get a multi-point effort, even if one was an empty net goal. Saturday in Calgary against the Flames... And the Canucks win 4-3. McKayef and Lafferty also matching Pedersen with a goal and a helper to assist for Philip Ronick. And we saw the jumbo pairing of new acquisition Nikita Zadorov and mm-hmm. Tyler Myers. And I love what Jeff said, and, and we'll talk to Jeff later in the program, what Jeff tweeted that because we had started to see some skepticism, some negativity, some frustration creep in in our feedback channels from Canucks fans really for the first time this year after the losses to Colorado and to Vegas with the, oh, and it's a, it's a, a very fair conclusion that, hey, Canucks are not at this level yet. These are the two best teams in the West or two of the best teams in the West, and uh, Canucks couldn't get the job done against the heavyweights, and that's fair. But as Jeff tweeted, the far more important wins are against Seattle and Calgary here. That's your derby right now. Stay ahead of them. Frank of the Kings as well. Stay ahead of them. Make life difficult for them in terms of simply making the Stanley Cup playoffs. And you know, you've enhanced your chances of not only getting there, but of course, seeding as well. So the Canucks 33 points, three back of Vegas and the same number of games played. They continue to have this games gap with the Kings who are just two points behind with four in hand. So really LA is 
by percentage here. Well, I was going to say number two, but their points percentage is actually better than Vegas, too. So you're still in a dogfight there, but Calgary now 10 back, Seattle 11 back. Calgary has a game in hand, but Vancouver looking very tidy here in the Pacific Division. And, of course, everybody with eyes on Edmonton, who have won four in a row, does Edmonton get its act together 14 points back of the Canucks entering Monday's play. Uh, Patrick Alvin met the media following the Nikita Zadorov trade. They've been talking a lot more lately. Yeah. Met the media after the Beauvillier trade, meets after mm-hmm. the corresponding Zadorov trade. Well, although belatedly, I know there were a bunch in the press corps that were hoping to talk to him the day of the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alvin saying that he thought there was a great opportunity here for the club to evaluate Zadorov and, of course, Zadorov to consider the Vancouver market and the Canucks franchise for a longer-term relationship. He is a UFA, an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year, would be a in-demand free agent come July. Uh, Alvin acknowledging that addressing a defense need has been has been there all season since the Susie and Breezeball injuries in training camp. And of course, Carson Susie with a second injury since then that's going to keep him out through the rest of this month. So they were eyeing Zadorov from that moment because he was a name that was already out there, having having re- requested a trade from the Calgary Flames. They get him at a great price. They go out and beat his former team. But right. I mean, it's been it was really not a nice thing to no. do for them uh, with the Calgary Flames. Now the question is though, what's next? I mean, there is still a defensive need. I think everybody can see that, particularly a right shot. Well, uh, but the winger need is also revealing itself too. So for me, it's incumbent on this coaching staff to try one of these lefties on the right side. I can understand wanting to ease the door off into the lineup and playing him on his natural left side and playing him with Tyler Myers. And hey, fair enough. That creates this, you know, twin towers look on defense, biggest defense pairing in the NHL. But at some point, I do think you need intel on Who's better, who's best playing the right side between Zadorov, Ian Cole, and Carson Soucy? And, of course, you're not going to get a chance to measure that with Soucy for some time. Yeah, and I think they'll be forced into that when they're forced into it. But do you honestly think they're only going to do it when they have no other options? Like, you don't think it's going to be a choice at some point? It's going to only come when it's a necessity? Well, I mean, you 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 say play Zadorov on the offside, so that you can keep Juleson in, or or no, so you can get rid of Juleson. So then you play your then you have a right side of Hronik. Let's say it's Zadorov and Myers. Who's on? Who's the third pair of left side? Well, Karzusi when he gets back. Right, no, oh. right now he's still got a month to go here. So I mean, I I think that in the interim you're going to have a gaping hole on either the left or right side. Why not right now, while you don't need to force the issue, have Zadorov on the left side and play a natural a Friedman or and, whomever on the right side? Fair enough. Yeah. But when Susie comes back. Yeah. Then you make the decision. I yeah. think you need yeah. to try one of them Yeah, on the right side. And I think you you got to have honest to goodness one-on-one discussions with all of them and just be like, do you think you're good? Mm-hmm. And honestly, like- – and. and- this would not be as perplexing for me as it is 
if not for the fact that they don't seem to have trouble playing the righty on the left side, which we have seen a lot, which is actually actually the more awkward, the most the more irregular way to go about it. Well, usually a team just doesn't have an abundance of right That's shots. That's correct. So, yeah. so righties almost never play the left side because there's always usually fewer of them on a team than there are lefties. The uh, the interesting thing is that you know all these lefties might see it as an opportunity because you know in the in the case of Susi and and Zadorov who seem to be below Cole just in terms of the depth you might get more minutes if you're if you're on a pairing with Ian Cole right now if you're the right side option with Ian Cole you're probably a top four quote unquote defenseman as opposed to being with Tyler Myers in the bottom pair. Let's hear from the big Russian because one of the things that he relishes is being one of those guys who's known as tough to play against. I love when people hate play against me. So I'm enjoying that. Then, uh, like I said, like you said, I can bring some skill on the chip in offensively for sure. I mean, not like we need it. We got 43 over there. But, uh, you know, when he's not on the ice, I can do that. Yeah, he's got some snarl as well on the ice. But off the ice, I mean, first of all, for a Russian, Blake, his English is... Yeah, magnificent. He's been here for a long time. He's been he here for out. a long time, which he has pointed out. But you know, he's he's cracking jokes, right? He's got jokes. Oh, he's he's got he's a he's got Canadian interview. locker room sort of yeah, but mentality. I, I mean, he's a terrific interview for a guy who's doing so in a second language, and um, a Russian raised on Letterkenny, if you will. You know, it's, that's uh, you've sort of mixed the two personalities. You're typing. Well, I, I uh, two things. I wanted to get to uh, how long he's actually been here and try and align that with Letterkenny. Oh. Uh, he was a London Knight in 2012-2013. That's when he first arrived in North America. You tell me, how long has Letterkenny gone back? You're more familiar with that show. 12 than seasons I... of Letterkenny. Started in 2016. Ah. So he was a full Olympic cycle here in Vancouver, or here in Canada before Letterkenny. Yeah, I know, but the the, the idea of mm-hmm. uh, I think the first few years you're here, you're just trying to get by. You're right. Just, yeah, of course. Then you add the the spice. Right. The other thing about him is he's known for a very plain talking, honest interview. Perhaps too honest for the liking of the Calgary Flames, their general manager Craig Conroy, and their dressing room that had a players meeting a couple weeks back where team captain Michael Backlund basically said squash all the noise here enough of these public trade requests he gets asked about his uh, two Russian comrades on the team Andre Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev take a listen to this answer we Russians I feel like all the Russians around the league we keep it close to each other we know each other we go for dinners they're great kids I mean I uh, uh, feel like I can help Kuzi with some stuff in here for sure it's his second year in the league and it takes time to transition your all nice off ice stuff from KHL especially he came a little bit later not like when you come a 16 year old you learn faster in, instead of the 26 27 year old so but uh, Ilya is a professional he's unbelievable so I Actually, gonna I can learn a lot from him. You know how to take care of myself and everything. So yeah, I mean it's it's nice to have a couple of comrades on the team. 
I, I love how he weaves some of the words there. Yeah, the first of all, calling them kids like McCabe is older than him. Yeah, yeah, he said that. He said that I can learn from him. He said so, but I I don't know if he um, meant the other the like the flip side of what he's saying is Kuzi needs my help. McCabe doesn't. Well, and you you do wonder here whether he got some marching orders from the agent uh, Dan Milstein yeah. who we had on the program on Friday Dan had previously told us back in August that look there's a difference between NHL shape and KHL shape and I'm trying to express that to Andre of course it was a difficult week last week for Kuzmenko those pair of bench a pair of benchings on the road we're talking you know, sits him down the first time, and okay, fair enough. You know, the coach has to have that in his quiver. Every player is susceptible to a disciplinary scratch from time to time when the level isn't there. But to send him out the next night in San Jose was, uh, for some, got them wondering about <clears throat> the mix with Kuzmenko. Gets back in the lineup and has a good game. In fact, I thought he was the best Canuck against the Vegas Golden Knights on Thursday. But it sort of reminds me of something that uh, NHL player agent Kurt Overhart uh, had mentioned to us years and years ago. He said one of the things that he was very proud of and that was most helpful for his client base is that when Kevin Bieksa got to the Vancouver Canucks, he had an established client there in Brendan Morrison who was sort of able to show Bieksa the way. And then when Ryan Kessler got to Vancouver, Bieksa was there as an established Vancouver Canuck who was able to sort of look after, take care of, and show a young player the way. So, Guzmango's not young, but he is inexperienced by North American and NHL standards. Yeah. And, and uh, you hear uh, that uh, he's effectively got a, uh, a young uncle there in Nikita Zadorov to help him out and get him through some of these difficult periods during the 82-game NHL grind, which Milstein again mentioned on Friday, right? Like, he's he's big on that. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So that's obviously another messaging point to Kuzmenko from his age. Well, he's, I think it's, he's also buying his, his client some time. that He's got plenty of time to wow us and get his goal totals up to where they, they want to be. And I, I think interesting on the Zora front is this is an imperfect player. Like, I think Canuck fans have to – you know, just slow the roll about deifying the fact that they made this trade. They didn't acquire a Norris Trophy caliber player. This is a faulty player. He will make ample amounts of mistakes. Um, he makes them better. I'm not trying to downplay that. He absolutely makes them better. I get the feeling that people are so excited because he's big, good personality. Yep. He's got a he's a decent skill. Like he's got great he's, tools. He's, he can move for he's, a big man. He's got great tools, no question about it. But there is a reason why he's a $3.75 million player and not a $7 million player, right? So just be careful about expecting too much. And the one thing the uh, we're going to play an answer from Tockett here with regards to what Zadorov can do for this team, but... The one thing that's going to be huge for this player with this team, penalty killing. He's not a power play guy. Penalty killing is where the Vancouver Canucks most need his services. And he proved that. And it is something that he didn't do a ton of in Calgary because they had four defensemen ahead of him that are, I don't want to call them all situations defensemen because Tanoff is obviously not a power play guy. But the three other guys there mm -hmm. in Calgary do play in all situations. And Tanef is one of the heavily leaned on penalty kill guys. So he was fifth 
in the queue there, not just at even strength, but on the penalty kill. That's not going to be the case here with Vancouver. He's going to have to step it up PK-wise. Here's the head coach talking, and listen to this answer because it almost sounds like he feels Zadorov has even more to give than what we saw in Calgary. Yeah, no, I think uh, the trying circumstances, he did a nice job for us. You know, he's uh, he's very excited. He, uh, pretty smart guy. Funny, we were going over some uh, system stuff with him, and he grasped it pretty good. He's, he's, I think he's just, he wants to get into this. Um, you know, the trade's over, you know, the Calgary thing. I think it's, he's ready to get going here. Yeah, and you, you wonder whether the peace of mind of no longer being in Calgary where he uh, asked for a trade is going to be beneficial, and it's great to hear that he was a, a quick learner there with Coach Talk and the, and the staff in terms of picking up the systems and what they're going to ask him to do that's different here with the Canucks than it would have been with the Flames. I mean, he logged over three minutes of, of PK time uh, on Saturday. Which I, is a significant uptick from what he was logging the, in Alberta. This season. But you go back to his last full season, 82 games last year. Um, he's at 211 per night on the PK He's fourth on the team and on the blue line, but he's nine seconds back of Hannafin per, mm-hmm. per game. So we're talking nominal so difference. He, he, so was he's, par- he was the second set of defensemen yes, over the board. That's right. Year. So you know, he yeah. was getting a regular shift on the PK. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's going to take much for him to become. And of course, we know with wingspan, uh, that PK uh, impacts can be can be very beneficial. Look at the he's beaming like he's I, like I, it's your firstborn, like it's your firstborn. I'm just so proud of you. <laughs> Stop talking I down to me. I am so delighted Stop that all these years later, we just drop it so casually, so matter-of-factly, yeah. that but we he, all know what I was talking about all those years. But it's he, an asset. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You, you can dunk on that. I but you all, But you also have whiffed on ass size. So, like, you're, no, you're no, one no, for no, two no, at the no, plate. No, 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 That is you're the next frontier, Blake no, Price. no. No. We're going to talk about the muscularity of their posteriors. No, that will not happen. That will be Sydney's lasting legacy to hockey prospects. Scouts looking up, scouts looking They've up players. All got going, big but butts. does he have the muscular oh, backside? The ability do. to just bump people off the puck. And I will dunk on wingspan. Oh, you have. And, and it won't just be a, a simple dunk. This will be like a. Michael Dominique. Jordan from Dominique. the foul. Yeah. yeah, exactly. D. Brown, eyes covered dunk. <laughs> Some of those Aaron Gordon dunks from a few years ago. And, of course, the other things that Orof does is he alleviates the burden on Hughes and Hronick, and I think that was starting to rear its ugly head. Here's Coach Tockett on the minutes munching of the new guy. For us to be successful, I mean, obviously the – the recipe we're doing. I mean, yes, you, you pick and you choose your spots, but yeah, I mean, you can't place one one pair of 28, 29 minutes, and and uh, you know you got to spread the minutes. And obviously, having a guy like him come in here, it's gonna obviously he's gonna take a piece of the pie. Um, then Quinn and Heronic uh, will be they'll be fresher. Uh, they'll actually I actually think their game will even be better if they can uh, we can take their minutes down a little bit because you know, we're having a tough time defending the last eight nine games. I mean, it's been good and bad. And I think a lot of it's because we're overusing some people. So now you have fresh, more guys that are fresh that we can defend harder. 
Queen, yeah, U- and Queen Hugh saw his ice time go, you know, just catapulting down. And that's even with, he had a, I think he had a shift of 250 yeah. in the game. He had one shift of 250, and he still saw a huge decrease in his 22 ice time. 22-40 for Quinn Hughes. He scores a goal against the Flames. 21-32 for Ronick, who has two assists and is a plus two. Yeah. There you go. There's your Nikita Zadorov effect right off the bat. And Zadorov didn't even play as many minutes as I think he'll wind up playing here. He played 17 and a half. I think he's going to play more than that. And it was a pretty close game, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting a realistic look at sort of the the, the usage of, of the player and, and sort of the rotation. So, uh, you know, on a 6-1 laugher, it's easy to spread out ice, uh, ice right. time. But, you know, that was reminiscent of a close enough game that you're you're sort of doing your regular rotation. So. Elias Pettersson, still without contract. And you'll remember, Blake, we're, we're, we're now about a month since all those rosy reports that, oh, it's looking good and you know, maybe a short-term deal, but, you know, they're getting closer. Mm-hmm. Alvin acknowledges that he, he met with Pettersson in Denver a couple weeks back. Now, he downplayed it a little bit and talked about how he believes in a, quote, partnership with players. And so tried to characterize it as a, in, in that vein as though, you know, he meets with players all the time. But needless to say, this is uh, this player is unlike the others. It's your number one centerman. He is on an expiring contract at the end of this year and, of course, requires a long-term extension or you're staring down the prospect of, him going into his walk here before unrestricted free agency. Uh, we all talked about in October how much money he was making himself with that ex- uh, that sizzling start to the season. Perhaps he gave some of the money back in November. I don't, at the end of the day, necessarily think we're going to be talking about a huge difference based on performance. I mean, unless he goes out and does something extraordinary this year. Because I do think the cap going up is going to be a bigger driver of the eventual uh, average annual value of this contract, more so than necessarily his performance this year. But if he were to go out and, uh, you know, have a significant improvement on a 100-point season of last year, then, yeah, perhaps you are looking at more money. What do you think? Do you think there's a world where we hear more about Elias and being close to sign this being close to sign this month or do you think this matter continues to drag well I, I you know hockey uh, negotiations and hockey business are so predictable and they really do recognize like the holidays like I, I, like yeah th- there's kind of a line here in about a week and a half where business really? will grind to like I, I I'm if I've what I'm saying is it'll be in the new year. I don't think we're expecting yeah. anything before January 1st. I don't think it'll be a Christmas present no. for Canucks fans under the tree. So. Here's Patterson all locked up. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would hope that they get this done before the end of the season. I would really well, hope that that's Well, as we talked about them. last week, trade deadline is a big one. Now, it very much looks like you're going to be in playoff position at the trade deadline, which takes a little bit of the heat off. Because, you're saying because but, well, they, they want to just, prove to him? That just tends to be a time where not just you, your players, your free agents to be in your franchise have to look forward to the summer and beyond. Mm-hmm. But you have 31 other franchises doing that. And sometimes that means some pretty interesting names can be out there. But for what purpose? 
You're saying to bolster the lineup well, and prove well, it. What, I, what I'm saying is if you've got other teams out there at trade deadline who are staring down the barrel of expensive restricted free agents, then you can have some very interesting names on the trade block. I don't think there's a consideration. If you get, if you get to the point where you feel Elias is just going to be too expensive to re-sign – then you're not doing your job if you're not considering all avenues. And a lot of those avenues open up closer to the trade deadline if you have other teams with great players who are also engaged in stalemates. I mean, if if, if things got really ugly, then certainly that's um, uh, a lever there. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, well, I, I don't you say th- ugly. To me, ugly would be akin to it going public. And I don't necessarily think, and I think Alvin has already done a pretty good job of keeping his business private. I don't necessarily think that Elias and his side of the coin are going to have a lot leaking out there. Um, Certainly his representatives aren't necessarily as known for that as some of the others around the NHL. But there is a lot of information that I suspect is being traded in the back channels. And so... Understand that they're going to know a whole lot more about the status of this thing, the likelihood of this thing, and whether they feel like there's a world where they can get Elias under contract and still be able to fiscally manage the rest of the roster based on what's going to be available to them with cap dollars. They got $30 million in space for next year, but with Patterson Kronick taking up a huge chunk of that if you were to re-sign him, not to mention all the other UFAs they would have to go out and either re-sign or replace. Almost two and a half million of OEL. Yeah, I mean, it it, it becomes a jigsaw puzzle that you have to have more than one potential route to go with it. But you, I, but you I can't don't... just sit there and allow yourself to say, okay, well, he's going to re-sign and he's going to re-sign for this money. And so we can go about the rest of our business, presuming that to be the case. But I don't think they you feel like he, I don't think they feel like Elias Pettersson has a hard ball to play with them right now. Like they would like to probably sign him to avoid hurt feelings and all that sort of thing. But brass tacks, there's no leverage this season for Elias Pettersson other than emotional leverage. Well, uh, in the season, no. In the off season, of course, he's arbitration eligible. Right. And I guess that's what worries me. Not just this regime, but others have failed to make him the priority. How how long are you willing to play the game of chicken and, and, and look at him in his camp and say, yeah, but you don't have a hard ball to play? Because that changes in the summer. Uh, to me, it changes the training camp. Like To me, you've got all summer to negotiate. I, I don't think that there's a hard deadline there. I mean, if he plays, if he has a one-year... I would agree with you for a run-of-the-mill player, but with a player of this order, I, I no, I, I think there needs to be a little more urgency, a little more priority. Well, again, I said that there's the hurt feelings aspect of it, but in terms of the actual business calendar... Well, but it's also commit to your best player, you know. Oh, not, not to mention you are risking him going out having an incredible year and it costing you even more only they know what the numbers are like if there's a 12 and a half million dollar cap hit ask here and the canucks have got a really nice number on the table it's got an 11 in front of it 
I mean, I don't, I don't know that you get dragged outside the woodshed either here if you're the Vancouver Canucks, right? Like, I, I, I we have no idea what these asks are, mm. but. You, you, but at the end of the day, Elias holds the leverage because to replace him is no easy chore. No. No, absolutely not. I mean, that is one of the reasons why professional athletes' salaries escalate. They are the product. Mm-hmm. Players of that order, not easily replaceable. And so you do tend to, at the end of the day, have the leverage but you need to also make sure that you're allocating the numbers to the right people. Right. Well, he's the right person well, for me. Well, depends on what that number is. Yeah. Because Elias Pettersson played on Saturday. Like, I want him to play every game. Yep. And again, we don't know why he hasn't been able to play that game every game, but he hasn't. That player on Saturday night is worth $12 million a year. Sure. Oh, yeah. By all means. Mm-hmm. And I, I know where he is in the points leaders, but we have said from day one, isn't this the quietest NHL points yeah. leader? Like we, we said that in the late in late October, like it was a weird start to the season for Elias Pettersson. Uh, you're right. Of course, he is a terrific defensive player as well. So, I mean, he, he affects all all uh, facets of your game and your lineup. Anyways, the Pettersson file continues. Big week for the Canucks, not just the Hughes uh, family reunion here Tuesday at Rogers Arena. Our old friend Travis Green making mm-hmm. his return to Rogers mm-hmm. Arena as a assistant on Lindy Ruff's staff with the Devils. Happens to come on the two-year anniversary of his firing as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Thursday, they play host to the Minnesota Wild, who have won three games in a row under new head coach John Hines after the firing of Dean Evason. So suddenly, that's a game that looks like it has a little bit more meat on the bone than it did earlier in the season when the str- when the Wild were struggling so badly. And then Saturday, and here's another team that I don't necessarily think, although, you know, second place in a metropolitan division, 14-8-1, the Carolina Hurricanes who were a very trendy pick to be the Stanley Cup champion or at least Stanley Cup participant from the Eastern Conference preseason. So this is a, this is a pretty good week. I mean, the Devils are underachieving, and you do wonder whether New Jersey has to go out and make that big trade for a goaltender that everybody's been talking about with the Devils for some time. But this is a, a team that's had the Canucks number, that plays a fast brand of hockey, has a ton of offensive players. Then you get the Minnesota club that's on a heater here, the new coach bump, and uh, Carolina and the unique system of Rod Brindamore. So it's going to be a telling week for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, people have been wondering, where are the big wins? This is the perfect that's opportunity it. to get big wins here. This schedule is uh, at home, so it's the best way to get big wins because you got home cooking, particularly next week with Florida and Tampa on the menu. But right. Carolina on Saturday is a good test. New Jersey's just underachieving and are battling some injuries here with with Dougie Hamilton gone. Um, but that's it's not an easy out. It's not an easy out. Well, Minnesota's playing better too. Minnesota and Jersey don't necessarily look like world beaters based on where they are in the standings. But I I, I think you know there's context around both of those games that's that right. turn them a little bigger. Yeah. And then Saturday, by every right, is 
You beat Carolina. That's a big win. That's a, yep. okay. We hung with an NHL heavyweight. It's a fourteen eight and one team in a tough division that has so. been accustomed to going multiple rounds in the Stanley Cup playoffs and did so again last year, despite the fact they were missing one of their best offensive players, if not their the best offensive player in Svechnikov. And, and the Devils, by the way, despite only four wins in their last ten games, four and six in their last ten. They're still above 500. They're, they are still a winning team. Like, you know, the, the Devils in the Pacific Division are in fourth place right behind the Kings. In points mm-hmm. percentage, they're right behind the Canucks, you know, in the division, I mean. So it's um, – it, none of this is tapping territory. They've had some tap-in schedule stuff over the, the first couple months of the season. These next two weeks are not. So it'll be uh, – you know, if, they, if there's five games – if they go three and two in this homestand, which is not gaudy at all – I think you count that as a victory. I think you count that as a successful homestand. I say Svechnikov amongst their best offensive players, Carolina. He's got one goal this year in 14 games. Mm. Been a real struggle for the Russian coming back off a a significant injury. Uh, We said this week it will be somewhat telling for the Vancouver Canucks. Today was very telling for Hunter Bristevich, Canucks prospect, defenseman with the OHL's Kitchener Rangers and lighting that league up this year in his draft plus one season. Today he found out he will not be a member of the United States World Junior Hockey Championship Club that will be heading over to Sweden for the holiday time tournament. This is somewhat of a puzzler for us. Now, we understood that this was a good U.S. team that had a lot of depth on it, but they have taken two 2024 draft-eligible defensemen. Zeev Buiam, is his brother's actually already drafted in the NHL, and he looks like he's going to be a first-rounder here. Taken a second 24 draft-eligible. In fact, uh, they've taken two other, three 24 draft-eligible kids, which maybe you're playing the long game there. There's one first-round defenseman on this team, San Rinzel of the University of Minnesota. He's a Chicago draft pick, 25th overall in 2022. And then there's three second-rounders, although if you if you redid the 22 draft, Lane Hudson of Boston University, a Montreal Canadian second-round pick, would go way higher than 62nd overall. He's had an extraordinary uh, year-and-a-half since that draft. Cam Robinson points out he'd clear he say, he says he'd clearly be behind Hudson Casey Booyam for offensive minutes. I mean maybe that's the case. Why Booyam? Why would why, he be clearly behind Booyam? Clearly behind Booyam? Like he's, like, he's he's the best offensive defenseman in the best major junior league in the world. Well Cam says the points are there, but if you watch he's not generating them through elite tools or skating. And you know what? All that can be true. And at the same time if you invite ten defensemen and onto your preliminary roster. You can't tell a guy who's leading the top junior league on the planet in defenseman scoring. You well, can't tell him, let's see what you got. Well, especially since he's a right shot. William and, and Hudson are left shots. Casey's a right shot. Chesley's a right shot, but he's more of a defensive defense. Again, you don't have very, to take very him. Very strange. But you know what? If you didn't take him to the tournament, fine. But yeah. how do you not put him in the top 10? Well, it, the other thing here is um, it's a very strange bit of business from 
USA Hockey. Oh, there's a on, lot of on, other weird on stuff. several. Yeah. Uh, scores. Charlie here. Strammel was good enough to play in the tournament as a 17 and 18 year old. He's not even invited this time, folks. After having not a great start to a season, one point in ten games with with Wisconsin. So that right. one you get, even though you don't get. I mean, he was good enough for you the last two years. There are nine first round forwards taken, but not Cole Eiserman, the presumptive second overall pick in the 2024 NHL entry draft after Macklin Celebrini of Vancouver. Uh, but they are taking James Haggins, the presumptive first overall pick in the 2025 NHL entry draft. So I called a few games at the World Under-17s in Langley last year. Haggins and, and Eiserman were on the same line together. Both spectacular, but Eiserman a year older to me, was like jaw-droppingly amazing amongst yeah. his peers. And in a World Juniors, you're effectively amongst your peers. A couple of guys old, uh, you know, older than you, obviously, because he'd be on the younger side of things. Um, I, I, I don't understand that one at all. I don't. Uh, the only thing I wonder there is, um, you know, maybe is it Hagen's ability to play the center of the ice that has made the difference Probably, there? yeah. Uh, whereas Eiserman is the winger. But how, do you have better wingers? And, and here's the other thing. I think a lot of people looked at Brustevich's exclusion and thought, ah, he's getting punished for being the American who goes to the Canadian major junior ranks. They took two OHL forwards. Mm. Gavin Hayes of the Flint Firebirds, a third-round pick of Chicago, and Casey Terrence of the Erie Otters, a second-round pick of Anaheim. And Terrence is actually just 18. It's not like he's a 19-year-old. I get the feeling that USA Hockey does what Canada used to do at the pro level, like with bringing the Rob Zamners of the world. I, I get the feeling USA Hockey likes to bring guys in roles. And Canada has now gone sort of beyond that in all facets. Go get the best players just, and figure it out later. As Babcock showed in Sochi, Rick Nash could kill penalties, okay? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But just bring the best players. Yeah. And and the U.S. has done this in, in and just in, blitz them with offensive. Yes, just blow them out of the water. Exactly, S line after line after line hops over the boards, and all of them have offensive talent. Just in those, relentless in those years all of Zegers and no Caulfield and stuff like that. Yeah, Remember, exactly. They just blew the doors off of you. Do that. No, uh, interesting stuff uh, from USA Hockey football. Now, Green Bay beats Kansas City in the Sunday nighter. And more complaints about officiating, particularly in a primetime game. Lewis Riddick of ESPN. These refs have to be held accountable in some way. Those are two of the worst calls in a critical moment that I may have seen in a long, long time and included a defensive pass interference missed. And we've uh, we've been tough on the NFL this year because there have been a lot of weekends with very middling cards and poor games and a lot of clunker primetime games. This Sunday was pretty darn good. Outside of the Chargers and Patriots, six six nothing L.A. There were there were points scored, which was nice. Indianapolis Tennessee was a crazy game that goes to overtime. I mean, you got a block punt in there. You got fumble. That was a fun fun game. And Indianapolis may well have a shot here in the AFC with Gardner Minshew. Detroit and New Orleans was a fun game because New Orleans damn near erases a 21-point first quarter deficit, and you do sort of wonder, okay, Detroit, 
you got a lot of good things going on there, but you live so dangerously. Is that going to play in the playoffs, or are they a team that's ripe for an upset? And then Houston and Denver, and I was talking to my brother yesterday. Is there a better story in the NFL than the Houston Texans this year? I know they've surprised. With the rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud, who is doing something that very few quarterbacks in the history of this league have done, and that's be successful as a first-year starter. And it even goes beyond that because, you know, guys like Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, we have seen quarterbacks step onto really good rosters and have success. This was not a very good roster for the last few years. And C.J. Stroud has stepped in there. He has stepped in there. He is more a driver of their winning than, say, Roethlisberger was early in his career or Russell was early in his career, surrounded by fantastic players. And then the other thing you love about Houston, they use a high pick on the corner, Derek Stingley, last year out of LSU. A lot of people went, oh, wow, that's pretty high to take a corner. He has two interceptions in the second half of this game, including a diving, like virtuoso interception of Russell Wilson on a downfield throw where if he misses, it's probably a touchdown the other way. They get an interception in the end zone by the old veteran of their secondary, Jimmy Ward, who came with D'Amico Ryans over from San Francisco. I love Ryans as a coach. thought he did an incredible job in San Francisco as defensive coordinator. I think he's absolutely one of these up-and-coming head coaches. He's got that program going. They beat a Broncos team that won five in a row, Blake, and credit to Sean Payton for getting that thing back on track. That was a fun game as well. That Houston team is a lot of fun. They play with great enthusiasm, too. That's the other thing I love about Ryans and what he's imparted. The crazy thing is if the Broncos somehow pull off a win, Mm-hmm. They're seven and five. They're one game back of the Chiefs. The Broncos would have been one game back of the division oh. lead after their embarrassing start. Remember, we were all laughing hysterically at it. if they just seventy some- points they gave up, and McDaniel called off the dogs in Miami. And and yet, even with the loss for the Broncos, I mean, they're still solidly in second in the FC West, and mm-hmm. and uh, and a chance still to maybe somehow steal the division. San Francisco beats Philadelphia in the rematch of the NFC Championship game, one of the NFL games of the year. Red circles, right? Forty-two to nineteen, they blow the doors off Philly. This time with quarterback Brock Purdy healthy. Eagles, Eagles fans were minutes. so uh, insulted that they were dogs at home. And, and I got to admit, it was one of the f- – more often than not, there's not NFL lines that jump out and you go, huh, why is that the case? Yeah. But it, I was with everybody in Philly going, really? You're three-point underdogs at home against San Francisco? Well, they're still the best team in the NFC by record at 10-2. and two. San Francisco and Detroit at 9-3 and three are second – Blake, we had talked about how the Seahawks had moved into playoff position with that Vikings loss on Monday Night Football, but it would be tough to maintain. Mm -hmm. Seahawks now down in ninth position in the NFC because the Rams won over Cleveland. Cleveland started Joe Flacco, terrible for Cleveland. Again, the Rams have two wins over the Seahawks this year. The Packers won again against a Kansas City team. And so now Seattle finds itself not only on the outside looking in, but with multiple teams to jump against a murderer's row schedule here to get back into playoff position. So it is not looking good for the Seahawks. If they just hold serve against the Rams, who are a middling team. Yeah, if they just go one and one. 
Well, the Dare to Dream. The Rams went two and zero against them. If they flip that, they're an eight and four team. <laughs> like think, mm-hmm. of, think of that huge yep. swing. If but they, even if it's a split, they're yeah. seven and five, and the Rams are five and seven. Yeah. Well, and especially losing that second game. God, I mean, the first one was maddening enough, but to lose the second one there to the Rams. Anyways, uh, we shall see uh, what's in store here for the Seahawks and the rest of the National Football League. We're, of course, now into the nitty-gritty of December. Seattle at San Francisco this weekend. It's in the late window on Sunday. The Rams... um, The Rams are in Baltimore, so it's not like they have an easy one either. Minnesota is in Vegas and Green Bay. The Packers play next Monday night at... The New York Giants. Giants back on primetime, Blake. Get excited. I'm super excited. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. Greta, fantastic place to catch all the games throughout the season, the playoffs, place to chill in the offseason. We'll talk to J-Pat. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, featuring Christine Sinclair, Burnaby's Christine Sinclair, with her farewell game Tuesday at the stadium formerly known as BC Place. We'll go to the people as well. Your thoughts a lot on Zadorov in today's edition of To the People We Go. Secure some price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags are the best and worst of... The app normally known as, usually known as Twitter.com, formerly known as Twitter.com. Mr. Price, lead us off. Well, we were wondering, would it be possible for Aaron Rodgers to somehow make it back into the lineup at around the NFL? Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers, unlikely to play this year, Mm. despite positive week. Mm. via at rap sheet. Um, they could use them. Do you get the sense that maybe Aaron Rodgers was just talking out of his ass this whole time? Uh, well, that wouldn't be the first time. You know, do you think he was just scorp- hoping tiger blood and scorpion venom was going to get him back in the lineup and heal an Achilles faster than any other human has ever healed mm-hmm. an Achilles? It was, is that maybe it? They uh, scored eight points yesterday, including a safety. Two field goals. Yeah. I'm and at this stage of the game they're four and eight now. So Yeah. He said it was playoff dependent too, so mm-hmm. yeah. So that's that. Thanks, Aaron. At Province Sports, the end is starting to sink in for BC soccer superstar Christine Sinclair. Tuesday, the big farewell match at BC Pla- Christine Sinclair Place. They have renamed the stadium. 23 years, 331 caps. I guess it will be 332 and 190 goals. See if she can add to that as well. 41,000 tickets already sold. Sinclair has requested 148, according to J.J. Adams of the province yesterday. Sunday she had eight left. Joke, she didn't even know she knew that many people. She has tried to treat it as routinely as possible. And if you know Christine Sinclair, that's very much on brand. Here's a quote from a 
news conference yesterday. I've tried to focus on beating Australia twice, and of course they throttled Australia in Langford last week. But I knew that once we moved back to Vancouver, things would change. Like, just the vibe around practice today. I think we had like a half an hour long photo shoot so we could all take individual pictures with everyone. I think it's kind of sinking in now that this is it. I'm just trying to enjoy every moment, moment, and it's actually really enjoyable to play soccer without any stress. It's a, a nice feeling. She was out at the week, on the weekend with teammates and ex-teammates at a clinic in Burnaby. That's very much her comfort zone versus a, a press conference where she was asked all sorts of questions. Sophie Schmidt was there as well, also retiring. And after this, Christine Sinclair, who arguably Canada's greatest ever athlete on the short list, will engage in a final season with the Portland Thorns in the professional ranks and then full-time throwing her efforts and energies into a women's professional league in Canada, which already has the commitment of Vancouver Whitecaps FC. Yeah, it's going to be a very tough business model to make work, but uh, let's hope they can figure mm-hmm. out a way, maybe get a very good benefactor to help yeah. bankroll it all. But They got three commitments there uh, club-wise. Yeah. Um, that'll and help of course, well. her ex-teammate Stephanie Labbe is working for the Whitecaps. Uh, at Glass City FC, staying on the pitch, mildly concerning. Hashtag VWFC, screen grab of an article about Ryan Gold with the quote, I enjoyed playing in Europe. I still listen to whoever wants to talk to me and decide. Uh, his contract is over after next season. And he says, I like the club in the city, but it depends on what they want and offer. But I also enjoyed playing in Europe. Uh-oh. I mean, to me, that's it, it can be seen both ways as mm-hmm. as threat or just brass tacks. Like, that's just the truth. Like, he's free to sign anywhere he wants. Why would he just zero in on MLS when he's played in a multitude of places and might have improved his stock the way that he's played the last couple of years? Um, wouldn't be surprised if he gets some interest, maybe even from the Scottish Premiership as well. So we'll see. Scotland heading to Euro 2024. I doubt he gets the call. Mm. At Get Up ESPN. At ESPN Greeny, Mike Greenberg, went off on the selection committee's process to pick the final four teams in the college football playoff. Quote, you know what happened yesterday, meaning Saturday, Sunday? Football became figure skating. Yes, the judges' cards for the first time ever and in the last year of the 14 college football playoff reared its head Sunday as the selection committee downgraded 13-0 undefeated Power 5 conference champion Florida State and took Alabama after their upset win over Georgia for the final college football playoff berth. Massive controversy in the sport. The head coach of Florida State, the athletic director, the um, commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference all put out statements that were dripping with vitriol and fury and have every right. Many saying Florida State earned it on the field. Why are we playing the games? Of course, they lost their starting quarterback and their backup quarterback. And so with potentially a third stringer, the committee thought that's not the same team that went 13-0. But they had never done this before, and 
The good news is, is next year it's going to a 12-team playoff, so we're not going to have these sorts of emissions yes. at the top of the bracket. But that's there the will most still important. be the debate yes. down around 12 or 13, but I, you know, I've been watching this sport my whole life. I have never seen a team in and around 12th or 13th in the country win a national title. Nor Typically, they. four is more than enough, actually. Uh, in terms of who is worthy, so and also teams down at that stage are not going to be undefeated. No, of course um, not. And yeah, they'll have three or four losses. Yeah, so case. you know they, they will have. It'll there'll be the game that they can point to. If we'd only won that game, we would have gotten in, and mm-hmm. that's that's where you want it. But it is an, it's an embarrassing decision to make mm-hmm. in one of the sporting realms' right. most curious corners of the world. Oh, it really is. Like, and, and and that's in this current incarnation. It's in. You remember when they didn't even have like championship games the way, the way this sport has matriculated to a 12 team playoff i mean is worthy of academic papers and think tanks they and, used to just award mm-hmm. the national championship yeah, I mean, in some regards it was always kind of a mythical this this playoff committee and 14 playoff was designed to end all of yes. that and yet in its final year it goes out with more controversy than many than any other format beforehand Really? So well, they, they 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 went too far. I don't think you need twelve to be honest. No, eight is more than eight enough. Eight is more than enough. You need to make sure that you've got all the undefeated teams, right? And eight, make sure that you get that. And the conference champions. And yes. there's five Power Five conferences, and they just could not envision a world where they leave out the champion of the mighty SEC conference, even though this was probably the year to do it on meritocracy, with Alabama and Georgia both losing a game. Alabama's loss was to Texas. They got in. So you could have easily looked at the SEC and said, three conferences produced undefeated champions. Another conference produced a one-loss champion who beat your one-loss champion. Sorry, SEC, you're out this time. But ESPN television have a big say in this, Blake, and they have a big commercial relationship with the SEC. It just stinks to high heaven. Feel gutted for those players at Florida State who deserve to compete for a championship. Uh, finally, for me, and this could be dated by the time we read it, but uh, the reporting continues at John Morosi. Sources, Braves are amongst the teams still engaged with Shohei Otani's camp. And, uh, you know, it sounds like the Jays are still in on the periphery of this. Uh, Mariners pulling off trades to create cap space, but I don't think it's for Otani. Everybody thinks it's done with the Dodgers, but here come the Braves down the stretch. Do you think there's a chance that Atlanta yeah. can score him? I mean, he, he, he might like the pedigree of the franchise. They're I, very, very I mean, competitive. I think, I think it's the best roster in Major League Baseball. Yeah. And, of course, the recent World Series champion. Um Cubs now, is interesting it, too. It is very much an American market. It doesn't sort of have the uh, cosmopolitan right no. of some of the other uh, cities that are seeking him. But um, yeah, I mean, if winning matters, and we've heard last week that winning may well be the most important thing for him in this decision, yeah, I could see it. And that's hashtags for today. Here's some price from Wall Center presentation app.
Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Surrey has the Nero EV and it is in stock with rates from 6.49%. So get thee to Applewood Kia in Surrey. Take the Nero for a test drive and find out how exhilarating it can be driving past the pumps. Go check it out right now. Applewood Kia in Surrey. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Who's the best player at Rogers Arena Tuesday? Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pedersen. Vote other. Good vote. At Sikerson Price on Twitter and YouTube. We will put that to our next guest. Rank White's Jeff Patterson, our Canucks reporter. But first, we got a victory over the rival Calgary Flames to discuss, including the debut of new Canucks defenseman Sakita. Nikita Zadorov. Zakita. Not bad. Zakita Zadorov. That's not, yeah. Nikita <laughs> Zadorov. Hi, Jeff. How are we doing? Yeah, doing all right. And uh, look, I think all things considered, uh, what a weird 48 hours for him. Uh, mm. The trade to sort of sit there in your own city, wait for your new teammates to arrive, and then uh, play against your former team. And I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. He sounded like a guy. We had a chance to talk to him here in Vancouver on Sunday after his first practice with the Canucks at Rogers Arena. And he just seemed relieved to have that one out of the way. But, you know, more than anything, he's part of the winning side at the Saddle Dome on Saturday. And you know, I think it's going to be a process here to figure out his role, how he's best slotted on this hockey club. Because, of course, in Calgary, part of the reason he wanted out was he was behind Rasmus Anderson, Chris Tanev, uh, Mackenzie Weger, Noah Hannafin. And then you come to Vancouver, well, you know that Quinn Hughes is going to play darn near half the game and uh, the way Philip Ronick's going. And you got Tyler Myers and Ian Cole. So, you know, is he a five? Is he a four? Where does he fit in? And I thought the other night in Calgary, they used him three and a half minutes on the penalty kill. He was out there late minute or the final minute preserving the victory and ultimately contributing to the empty netter that stood up as the game winner. So I think uh, for a guy that's still learning the systems here, uh, you know, I think the, you chalk up the first one as a, a, a rousing success yeah. and, and now move on and five game homestand, a pretty good opportunity for him to try to settle in to his new hometown. Well, he talked about how being traded is nothing new to him, but of course, usually it's in the off season. We have all sorts of time to prep for the kids and schools and homes and and all that and talk it talking about how maybe he can be unlocked Jeff now that he's out of Calgary where where you uh, rightfully point out he was behind all those defensemen he's going to have to play a lot more penalty kill here than he did there and I'd also like your two cents on the the pairing the uh, the matchup giving him Tyler Myers and playing him on the left side yeah, I mean, just on the surface, when we found out on Saturday morning at the skate that it was going to be the the two big boys, and and that is the biggest fence pairing in the National Hockey League because nobody's taller than Tyler Myers. He's at six eight officially. There are a handful of six sevens, and then Zadorov's one of a, a bunch of guys that are six six. So uh, you can't get any larger uh, than those two together. Now, when Carson Susi got hurt, he and Myers formed you know a pretty sizable pair, and they were playing well as well. So. I think Zadorov slots in there and you just hope that, you know, the one thing that he brings that maybe the rest of this group doesn't is that imposing physical element. Like Tyler Myers is huge and he can throw hits, but I don't think he's out there looking to absolutely wallpaper guys where that is part of Nikita Zadorov's DNA. And so I think uh, Rick Tockett talked a little bit about that, that he wants him to finish checks and sort of be that imposing force back there and make people think twice about sending the puck into his corner and maybe they won't come out uh, with the puck and maybe they won't come out with all of their body parts. Who knows? Uh, whatever the case, I think that in the short term here, until they prove otherwise, that that is going to be a pair that the Canucks stick with. And then it means that Ian Cole will have either Noah Juleson or Mark Friedman because I don't think that the Canucks plan to touch the that top pair of Hughes and Hironik anytime soon. So, uh, 
you know, I know Zdorov talked on Saturday about the fact that uh, you go way back in the time machine. He and Tyler Myers were a pair in Buffalo uh, for a short while when they were both, both much younger. And now they've been around the block. They've uh, made a few stops along the way. So, you know, we'll see if they can lean on some of that veteran savvy here and just be guys that can clear the front of the net, make life a little uh, easier for Thatcher Demko, a little more difficult uh, on opponents. And to your point about the penalty kill, Matt, that's an area of concern right now for the Vancouver Canucks. Without a doubt, it is uh, backsliding. And, I mean, who would have thought with uh, the change in coaching, the change in personnel, the offseason additions that were supposed to target this one particular uh, area of the game for the Vancouver Canucks, and they're sitting at 75% on the season, 25th in the National Hockey League. They're not at the bottom, but they can see it from here. And I would have just thought that uh, they would have been better than 75%, but they gave up two the other night to a Calgary team. Flames came into the game on Saturday with two power play goals on home ice, and they doubled their total against the Vancouver Canucks. So that sort of tells you uh, the issues that the Canucks are having with the penalty kill right now. And we'll see where Zadorov ultimately uh, falls into the mix uh, in that regard. Canucks aren't playing amazing hockey right now, Jeff, but they are avoiding the losing streak, right? They're nipping these in the bud. The win one, lose one is really, really frustrating for a lot of teams. For Canucks fans, I don't think they should be that frustrated. If they can just churn out some, uh, you know, some mediocre hockey here, avoid losing streak, and then try to build another winning streak sometime in the next couple of weeks, I think they should be fine with that, given what we think this team is pedigree-wise, which is to say, you know, it's not a championship pedigree yet. Um I love the fact that they just bounced back and played a nice road game. And I think they won on the judges cards as well as the scoreboard. Well, they got the great start uh, two minutes in and then added to that to be up two nothing. that gave them a little bit of a cushion to give up some of those power play goals that we talked about. And you're right. They've alternated wins and losses in their last eight games. At some point that streak will end. And if you end it with a couple of wins, all of a sudden, you know, you're above 500 then over a two week stretch and, and that's just fine. And the other part is, you know, 500 isn't going to hurt them because they put so many points in their basket right off the start with that 12-3-1 start. Now, they don't want to play 500 the rest of the way, but you saw that, you know, when they lost to Colorado and Denver two weeks ago, they followed that up with an impressive win in Seattle. And while you would love to have made some sort of statement by beating the Avs, it's way more important to beat the Kraken to keep them behind you and, and extend your lead on them. The same situation applied last week. They lose to Vegas. Yeah, they would love to you know, join the big boy club for a night at the very least and, and show them the Stanley Cup champs what they're made of. But ultimately, if they knock off Vegas in late November, you know, people are flexing here and it feels good. But if this is truly about making the playoffs for the Vancouver Canucks, then the win over Calgary, way more important than taking two points off the Golden Knights at this point because they extend their lead to 10 over the Flames. And if you play 500 for a long stretch for Calgary to make up 10 points, like they would have to go on an absolute heater. And, you know, they're a pretty inconsistent bunch as well. They were playing better coming into the game on Saturday. But, yeah, I thought all things considered, road win, uh, the start that they got, the fact that, you know, JT Miller didn't have a particularly good night, but you're still able to get by and beat a rival and a, a divisional opponent uh, without one of your top players at the top of his game. Uh, yeah, there were way more positives than not, I thought, for me at the Saddle Dome on Saturday night. Jeff Patterson, right, so right, Mayor of Wrightville, right. We'll call you your worship through the rest of this interview. No, he's 10 points ahead of Calgary now, 11 points ahead of, of Seattle. Jeff's, um, Jeff's absolutely spot on when he says, you know, the Vegas and the Colorado wins would have been a little bit more ego. These wins were far more important. I think you want to get wins over those big teams eventually. Well, eventually, and, and, sure. And this homestand is a hey, tough one. Right? Uh, let's crawl before we walk yeah. and get to the playoffs first. And, and these wins against Calgary and Seattle more important.
Had her some other goal and assist. What did you make of him? Because, uh, boy, uh, first time that he had dented the score sheet like that in a while, Jeff. Yeah, you know what, Matt? I thought he had a really good night. I thought his line and the underlying numbers showed it. I mean, they absolutely crushed their competition at even strength, spent uh, almost all night in the offensive zone. And even if Patterson doesn't get the empty netter and they were late to give him an assist on the Mikheyev goal, like into the second intermission, he didn't have a point. And I thought, you know what? People are going to say, oh, another night where he doesn't do much. He drew a couple of penalties. Uh, again, his line was applying pressure all night long. And then, uh, you know, he's out there late with the empty netter. Uh, puck goes off his stick and ultimately is credited to him. I thought he had quietly, but effectively, I thought he had a night. He had uh, rang that one off the post on the five on three. If he scores there, people are raving about, uh, you know, the shot is back and, and all that kind of stuff. So it can be a game of inches. It was the other night, but at the end of the night, uh, on a night when JT wasn't going, Elias Pettersson chips in with a goal and an assist. His line mates, Lafferty and McKay, have both score. So, yeah, I thought, uh, all things considered, uh, a pretty good night for Elias Pettersson. And I'm curious to see you know, how they, they skated on Sunday in the same line combination. So it looks like Andre Kuzmenko has dropped from Pettersson's line to Miller's line. And essentially what they've done is swapped out one guy in Phil Giuseppe, who we all questioned how long can he hold his own in the top six he has come right out of the lineup now, and we'll see if he gets back in on Tuesday. But Sam Lafferty gets the promotion, and you know, Lafferty's just been a really nice addition for a fifth-round draft pick. But forget the acquisition cost for just the player here, size and speed. We knew that, but some versatility and you know, going to the front of the net to bang in a loose puck. And we talked about this on Rinkwad on Saturday. That's an area that the Canucks have been so much better this year is net front, uh, the tips, the screens, and ultimately just collecting some loose change lying around. McKayev's in front of the net there, causing problems for Mark Storman. Buck squirts free to Sam Lafferty. You know, does Sam Lafferty have the chops to stay in a top six role? It's probably the same discussion that we had with Phil Giuseppe at the start of the season. But Rick Tockett said yesterday, hey, Lafferty's a guy that, you know, he can give them some juice. And uh, so they were... Uh, they were drinking their juice on Saturday night, and they may do it again on Tuesday against the Devils. Maybe it was his first multi-point night in twelve games. He had six of them. Six of them in October. He, Patterson, this is he had two in November. You got to go back to the Ottawa game on the ninth to find a multi-point game for he a was way. Like, he deserved it. Um, you know, maybe Vasily Podkolzin is the answer to the winger issue in a couple of weeks' time if he can continue to show some progress and he's on a three-game point streak again after coming back from injury uh down with the abbey canucks but if the if the rutherford regime here is going to stay ahead of the curve and they you know they're acting early here making all these moves they're the most active team since the start of the season of the national hockey league in terms of trades what's their next move one more defenseman or is it a winger to to fill some of these holes here uh or do they just hope again that pod colson steps up yeah, I think certainly they're going to monitor the Pod Colson situation. I think they've got a, guy, a bunch of guys down on the farm, and we're starting to see some of those uh, recalls and promotions now with Niels Amon and, and Alinas Carlson got in the lineup the other night. You know, are they long-term answers for the Vancouver Canucks? I'm not sure. I do think now, Blake, that the wish list goes to uh, an upgrade at the wing position in the top six, that you've got Brock Besser and the season that he's having uh, – you know, Ilya Mikheyev, I think, kind of quietly has gone about his business up to eight goals now in the 21 games that he played. And, you know, just back to that line for a sec. I thought Mikheyev, that was about as, assert as assertive as we have seen him in a hockey game in quite some time as well. So that's a good sign there. You want to believe that Kuzmenko is going to get better. Uh, he's not going to be a 39-goal guy. I think that's pretty clear now. But I think this team could use one more. Uh, one more winger in the top six with some pedigree and, you know, you 
look and see on the other side on Tuesday, Tyler Toffoli's coming to town with the Devils. And wouldn't that be a nice uh, kind of fit to have? Uh, I think he played here once, but uh, that's water under the bridge now. Whatever the case, uh, you know, all this talk about uh, committees, committees on defense, scoring by committee. I think ultimately you saw against Vegas the other night that uh, this team struggled so mightily to generate much offensively. And if they are going to get into that conversation of hanging with the big boys in the National Hockey League, uh, I think that uh, they could use a, an upgrade up front. Now, that's going to come at a price. There's no doubt about that. So how do they make that work? I also wonder, um, because we know that you know back in the heyday when Jim Rutherford was running operations uh, elsewhere, you know we would see that there were these like streaks and runs of just volume trades and i know it's difficult to make deals around the nhl but the canucks have been active as you point out but you know do they feel like they're in their groove now and are they looking to make other moves and you know i wonder at some point like if neil zaman could take that next step like teddy bluger's fine Teddy Mugler doesn't really move the meter. He's only played 10 games. I'm not trying to run the guy out of town here by any stretch of the imagination. But if Neil Zaman could give you everything that Teddy Bluger can give you. Now, I suppose Bluger's got some playoff pedigree and some chops that way. Um, but, you know, is that a piece that somewhere down the line that the Canucks could, you know, promote from within and maybe look to, um, you know, make a move in that regard? And I think the same thing yeah. ultimately applies to Tyler Myers, that if Ethan Bear does figure in their plans, and Patrick Alvine certainly wasn't waving that off again on Sunday when uh, we had a quick chance to talk to him, you know, for all the talk of Tyler Myers in this market, like, could you try to peddle this big right shot defenseman ahead of the deadline to somebody else, fill that spot with Ethan Bear, and acquire some sort of asset? Um, you know, I, I'm just throwing these out there mm -hmm. and trying yeah. to get in, into the head of this management group that. You know, I, I do think he's going to continue to tinker here as we move forward. I, I I think a lot of it pivots on whether the coaching staff is willing to play Zadorov on the right side. I think that is kind of and um, Ethan Bear. Yeah. one of the – and to a degree, Ethan Bear. But first things first, he got Zadorov in. We'll, we'll see if this coaching staff, which has been very hesitant to play lefties on the right side, is willing to break that wall and make that move. Um, secondly, as Jeff notes, when they moved Bovillier, he talked about the push from below. And if it's not Vasily Podkolzin, maybe it's Archdeep Beans. Hey, maybe it's Atu Ratu at some point and, and playing him on the wing in a lesser responsibility um, position. And then Toffoli's just delicious, Jeff, because he is a UFA. <laughs> and the Devils are struggling in a spot where I don't think a lot of people thought this team would be struggling. I mean, we're a long way from the trade deadline in this team declaring itself out but that'd be a hell of a for a second dance with tyler Tofoli, a guy you acquire as a rental winger yeah i guess you could make those as two separate trades or do you do you find a, a trade partner that says we really need a right shot defenseman you mm -hmm. you know and we've got a surplus of wingers maybe that maybe that exists but well those are tough fits jeff alvin did finally meet the media after the uh Zdorov trade uh, did did you learn anything there was there anything that clued us uh there that jumped out to you no, that was sort of a, a whole clunky operation because the request had been made on Thursday. It was a game day for the Canucks Vegas in town and the Canucks pull mm -hmm. off that trade hours before faceoff. And there were requests made by myself and pretty much everybody else along press row to talk to the general manager that night. Now, Alvin had been available on Wednesday out at UBC and I guess he chose uh, not to speak to the media and there was some grumbling, uh, I think, that got back to the organization. And so I think Sunday was really just a make good 
uh, for him. But I mean, how often do we see that where a general manager comes out to talk about a trade after the player has already suited up and played uh, and made his debut? So it was just, uh, it was short, it was sweet. It was, uh, you know, he gave his thoughts on on the Zadorov trade and then was asked a little bit about uh, the report on Hockey Night in Canada about a face-to-face meeting with Elias Pettersson. Didn't want to get uh, into that. Was asked again about Ethan Bear and certainly didn't close the door there. So, no, I didn't think we learned an awful lot from Patrick Alvin on Sunday, but uh, really that's all that one was. And, uh, you know, just uh, a few sort of uh, procedural questions about timeline and the way that uh, that deal came to be. And and he noted that, uh, you know, they had been certainly since the preseason when Breezebois got hurt. I uh, remember Breezebois got hurt in the Abbotsford game, and then the final preseason game, Carson Soucy went down. Now Soucy came back. He's out now with a separate injury, but uh, Alvin said, you know, the first time Soucy went down, they thought that maybe they were a little thin on the back end, and that's when they started uh, scoping around the National Hockey League, shaking some bushes just to see who might be available to them. Uh, lastly, Jeff, the week ahead, including this delicious matchup tomorrow, against the New Jersey Devils and uh, Quinn's two brothers, Luke and Jack. We're asking on our poll question, who's the best player on the ice tomorrow? One of the Hugheses, Patterson, feel free to go off the board and uh, give me uh, your thoughts on the week ahead with Minnesota and Carolina also here. Yeah, start of a five-game homestand. So uh, for a team that spent a lot of the month of November on the road and that compressed schedule, this will be a chance just to exhale a little bit, but they're in a stretch again, 11 games in 22 nights uh, up until the Christmas break. So that started on Saturday and it started with a win and we'll see if they can uh, parlay that into a little bit of momentum. Not only the Hughes brothers, but of course, Travis Green's return to Vancouver and Rogers Arena on the two-year anniversary of his dismissal. Is he video worthy? Do we get video there from Travis? I, I think we do. I think you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't gone down that road, uh, yeah. but perhaps uh, they will. Uh, I think Quinn Hughes, I mean, this guy has taken on every challenge. Now, uh, the Devils, for whatever reason, if you go back over the last decade, the Devils have absolutely owned the Canucks, which makes no sense because they've both been in the gutter for much of the last decade. Like the Devils, this has not been you know, the heyday of the Stanley Cup champion, New Jersey Devils, they've had their struggles for much of the last 10 years, and yet they have owned the Canucks. And certainly since Jack came into the National Hockey League, and I should have the numbers in front of me, but I don't, but it has been a one-sided battle. I kind of get the feeling that Quinn's going to go enough. Like, there's two of them over there. There's only one of me, uh, but look out. And we've seen this all season long. Like, he just continues to put this team on his back. He raises his game. He's up to nine goals now. That's career high. You know, he would love to score against his brothers and uh, just further that whole storyline. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'll vote Quinn. And I don't think you can ever go wrong voting Quinn Hughes in something like a poll question like that (laughs) one. I think he'll be excellent. But Jack is one of my favorite players to watch. He's just so much fun. Uh, and Luke, who took that big hit last week, and I was a little worried that that was going to you know, ruin this entire storyline, that maybe he wouldn't be available. But Luke is quite – I don't know if people are paying attention to what Luke is doing as a 20-year-old defenseman, but leads the Devils in ice time. Uh, you know, Now that Dougie Hamilton's out for a while, uh, he's going to be asked to do even more. But uh, he's having a fine, fine rookie season, and uh, it's incredible uh, what the, the parents have done here in raising three absolute uh, stud hockey players. And so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. The return match in New Jersey early in the new year. So uh, twice in the next month, we're going to get uh, this Hughes Brothers storyline. And then beyond that, Minnesota, it looks like the coaching change has uh, breathed a little bit of life into 
the Wild. So uh, a week ago, you might have thought that was the easy spot on the homestand, but uh, the Wild will come to town playing a little bit better and with some confidence there. And then Saturday night, Carolina. Uh, I know that uh, they haven't necessarily had the season yet, but uh, people have always kind of been you know high on them to get it right. This is going to be the year for the but they're still a good team. They're a formidable foe. And uh, yeah, I mean, after that, then Tampa and Florida. So a, a heavy dose of Eastern cooking on this uh, homestand yeah. for the Vancouver Canucks. And Luke Hughes tied for second in rookie scoring with Marco Rossi, who we'll see on Thursday. And they all, of course, trail Connor Bedard, North Vance, Connor Bedard. Jeff, marvelous stuff. Thank you for this. We will catch up later in the week. All right, guys. Thanks. To the people, to the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I miss the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people, we go. And to the people, we go. Brought to you by our friends at Finning. Register, bid, and win. Time's running out, and your chance to bid during the online timed event. It's quick and easy to bid on a diverse inventory of quality used cat equipment, but it's ending tomorrow. Not only is the buying process quick and easy, but you get peace of mind buying from the trusted seller with an extensive support network. Hundreds of machines to choose from. Sign in or register today to start browsing. Go to used.finning.com slash bid. Results from Friday's poll question. Does the Nikita Zadorov acquisition make the Canucks a contender? More than 2,100 votes on this. 73.5% said no. Graham, they still need another another top six forward as a serious play driver first. They also need to sign Bear, then they can be considered having a shot at the cup. We still have to see what Zadorov can do with the coaching of Foot and Gonshar. I think it'll be good, but not a 100%. Graham echoed a lot of the comments. Still a forward short, still a defenseman short. Austin and Langley were another top four defenseman and top six forward away from being a tier below a contender. Personally, I think it's Bear plus a 3-4 guy plus a 2-C or a 2-wing. I think all roads lead back to the lotto line and Mikheyev, a 2C, and Kuzmenko as a second line. Mismanaged said every team that makes the playoffs is by definition a contender. So, yeah, I believe they'll make the playoffs and go at least that far. Chris says, ask yourself, is he making a huge difference in that game against Vegas? And uh, Leaf, who tends to be humorous in his replies, this Big Z isn't going to have players practicing passing the cup. Let's go to Chris's first. Is he making a difference versus VGK? He's making a difference. Uh, enough to win the game? Probably not. They weren't that great that no. night. No. So they, they, everybody needed to get to a better level to beat Vegas on that night. Yeah. I mean, we see it for the Canucks right now the past couple of weeks. They're not playing their best. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that was necessarily going to tip the scales. On YouTube, Toymaker Props says, I don't know about the contender, but we have our very own Jacob Truba-style hitter who can energize the team with a big hit, not to mention fans. Fair enough. Starry Nova, unless their top six wakes up, five versus five, they're a bubble team at best. I'm calling BS on that, honestly. Look at the five versus five numbers. They scored another four five on five goals uh, against the Flames. Like the, Their five on five numbers are, are not the problem. Their stars need to get back onto a star pace, mm-hmm. but their five on five numbers are very good. I, I, I'm not buying that right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, another comment says uh, Zadorov raises the team's floor, but not necessarily their ceiling. Interesting. 
On YouTube, our interview with Dan Milstein, agent to Zadorov and Kuzmenko and Mikheyev. Kempner Canucks says, I find this interview so interesting. Thank you so much for having Dan Milstein on the show. I love it when he's on. I get he can't give all the details, but he gives enough that it is entertaining and super interesting. And, yeah, he's a bit of a showman as well. Yes. Blake and I aren't huge on having agents on the program because, you know, first and foremost, they, they are advocates. They're not giving you the full picture, right? They're giving you the best possible Giving you the brochure on the player. Exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, Dan is, uh, for the most part, honest and for the most part, entertaining and and and, uh, and humorous, so we like having him on the show. Uh, Chris says, these YouTube interviews with Sikerson Price, Donnie and Dolly and others are so much better than the Sportsnet stuff. You actually get to see real people talking hockey, not suits trying to tell you that this is the Leafs here again. <laughs> Yes, the telecoms tend to be fixated on the Toronto just Hockey Club. Smidge, That's, uh, why just a smidge. Just Frank Saravelli's interview do. got a lot of reaction. Welly for PM says, Canucks need to sign Phil the Thrill to take D. Giuseppe's spot on Miller's line. Boy, we've talked about improving the wingers today already. Phil Kessel? Is, is, is that the solution? He's just sitting there. free, No acquisition yeah. cost. I mean, he nobody plays him in the playoffs. It would be purely yeah. like, that's the thing, like... It's effectively a power play specialist to a degree. Yeah. And you've got a pretty good power play. Like, it, like it's, it's, he's a not as good version of Kuzmenko. But I'll say this like, if you were to lose another forward, particularly a top six forward, then it's something that Maybe. I would consider. Um, well, he says Canucks needs, uh, sorry that we just did that one. Granger says, here's hoping Wheelander is way ahead of the curve and makes the team at the end of his. BU season. Yeah, I, I mean, there's an outside chance. If, if he wants to come out. If he wants to sign and leave Boston University after his first season, that he could affect the end of this regular season and potentially the playoffs for the Vancouver Canucks. And that's a very big ask for a Swedish defenseman playing his first year of North American hockey, but leave open the possibility. My my guess is that it's after a sophomore year. The, the reason being is, especially guys in his circumstance that you just talked about, um, they want to come over and be the guy. He's mm-hmm. not the guy right now. Lane Hudson's the guy there, and if he stays for one more year, he gets the ice time and the spotlight of being the guy at BU as the top defenseman, so I'm going to guess he waits for that moment. Inbox, Josh Zamboni guy. Tell me I'm wrong. Zadorov is a gem of an interview. Got the humor factor down pat. Loves the skate jersey for the retro lovers. He's going to be a fan favorite in no time. Just need those big hits now on this homestand. And Josh adds, tell me I'm wrong. Green Bay defeated KC, and now we'll have all future Taylor Swift shows canceled due to the wrath (laughs) of the Swifties. Yes. (laughs) It finally went awry for Travis Kelsey in Kansas City. With Taylor Swift in attendance. Were they 4-0 before that? I believe they were undefeated. Yeah. By the way, did you see that Al Michaels got ripped? Or Tariko? Who was the call in the game last night? Tariko? Tariko. Mm-hmm. Um, for saying that she was on tour with us because she was you know, following them around. It was just a joke. Just not, And he's getting ripped for it. Like, like that's a bad dad joke. I thought it was pretty good. She's on tour with us because she'd done a couple yeah. of road games. Like... I don't, know why, I don't know why he's getting skewered for that. It's far worse at a broadcaster's mouth than that joke. I'm just wondering uh, if she actually spent the night in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm sure she flew out after the game, right? If you're that level of star, you don't spend any time in Green Bay, no, Wisconsin. No, no. 
I mean, hell, I'm not even sure you spent time in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But how do you get out of Green Bay at midnight? Oh, I think with that kind of wallet, you you pay everybody to stay late at the airport. PJ somewhere at the... Get yeah, me yeah. the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, hot take from Adam, the former bath guy. The New England Patriots will get the first overall pick in this upcoming draft, and Bill Belichick will get his Super Bowl without... Tom Brady. Well, Carolina continues to be the worst team in the league, and their pick, of course, belongs to the Chicago Bears after last year's trade. So, But it is possible that uh, Carolina wins enough games to jump the Patriots from here. But does- Caleb Williams, Drake May, Drake May, the quarterback at North Carolina, are the two sort of prime quarterback prospects. Are they going to be good enough? Soon enough, though, to to get Belichick a, a Super Bowl? That's I doubt that. Thing. I doubt that. I'm going Luke, Adam. Luke. Tell me I'm wrong from Ben and Langley. I can't decide whether the Chargers versus Pats game was a defensive clinic or a car crash. Can it be both? Yes. No. Yes, it can. No, I, I disagree. I, I'm not going to call it a defensive clinic. I'm going to call it... Two teams that were just tired of playing football. Well, but one team has a really good quarterback. And New England held him, I mean, he had 200 yards passing. The team had like 250 yards and six points. So that part of it can be a defensive clinic, can it? Like, it's not like it was Kenny Pickett or some scrub trying to masquerade as an NFL quarterback who was under center for the Chargers. I I just think that when things are so bad and so wrong, I don't think anybody's playing with the urgency and the fortitude of their, you know, of, as if the game had import, mm-hmm. you know, like they know they're in the middle of, you know, the loser bowl there. Yeah. So it's just, it's just hard to issue a report card on okay. their play. That's all. Here's some price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778 402 9680, the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Some baseball here where the Seattle Mariners are making moves that suggest they're going to do something big. Trade with Atlanta on Sunday. They send Jared Kelnick, the centerpiece of the Edwin Diaz trade with the Mets a couple years back. You may remember. Top prospect who never quite did deliver. Hit 253 with 11 home runs, 49 RBI, 13 stolen bases last year. Marco Gonzalez, who was their longest tenured player. He started 10 games last year. Of course, acquired for Maple Ridge's Tyler O'Neill from St. Louis a number of years back. And Atlanta apparently intends to trade Gonzalez. And first baseman outfielder Evan White, who was a one-time first-round pick for the M's, had not played in the bigs in a couple of years. For a couple of pitchers, Jackson Coar was a one-time first-round pick of Kansas City. He's pitched to a 9-12 ERA over 74 major league innings. And Cole Phillips, a second-round pick in 2022, has yet to pitch in the minors. Jerry DePoto cited roster and payroll flexibility when discussing this trade or statement on this trade that he thought would help improve the team, quote, for 2024. 
and beyond. John Heyman, Baseball Insider, speculates that maybe they're trying to open up a spot for Juan Soto, the fine left fielder with the San Diego Padres, who is on the block and going to be moved. I saw a lot of conjecture, though, that this is just a salary dump. <laughs> this isn't mm-hmm. posturing for well, a bigger move. They don't, it's just Mariners being Mariners. They, uh, they don't get the benefit of the doubt a whole lot, no. right, with their fan base and, and their clubhouse. Who, Because, Matt, what if they don't? Well, what, that's like, it. It's like, like you have to win the Soto right. sweepstakes to make the trade or the Otani. Right. If so there's still any hope of that. Unless you're positive that you've got one of these guys on the hook, mm-hmm. you're going to end up empty-handed and you just dumped a bunch of good talents. Yeah. Heyman also wonders about Alec Manoa and that his name has come up in one Soto trade chalks with the Blue Jays and and Padres. Heyman says could be a good change of scenery guy. Like, boy, if he's the centerpiece for a Soto trade, I think you're doing backflips if you're Toronto. Yeah. And a Blue Jays fan, I would have to think it's plus-plus Manoa. And then both franchises of note here in this uh, in the lower mainland in BC, the M's and J's both licking their wounds after the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee elects former Pirates, Tigers, Marlins, and Rockies manager Jim Leyland to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Lou Pinella got 11 of 16 votes. You need 12 for induction. Mm. He falls a vote short for the second time. And then poor Cito Gaston got just five of 16 votes. And for a guy who has never been afraid to discuss the injustice that he has experienced as a man of color in baseball going way, way back, uh, you do wonder whether this is yet another notch in that and something that Cito will further address Going forward, I, I sure hope he wasn't excluded because he has spoken about his personal experience and some of the injustice he has. I think more likely it's the fact that he's hidden north of the border more than anything else. I, the fact that Lou Pinella, like it's it's freaking Lou Pinella, yeah. like that guy was a household name. Like that guy, I am surprised. Yeah, but he doesn't have back-to-back World Series no. like Cito. Neither does Leland. Uh, Leland's the 23rd manager inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And the other thing about Cito Blake, he won back-to-back World Series, then didn't get another managerial job oh, very until weird. the Blue Jays rehired him. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. It, it's got like uh, Ted Nolan sort of stuff mm-hmm. behind it, except with championships. Like, it was very, very bizarre. Look, in his first go-around, people will tell you he could be a little distant, a mm-hmm. little aloof. He wasn't everybody's warm and fuzzy. That much was clear. He was a far more kinder, gentler, gentler raconteur type in his second stint as Blue Jays manager. Um, I mean, he was you could tell that he was kind of managing with the weight of the world off his shoulders as opposed to the first go-round. And, of course, he was the manager of the Blue Jays, won two World Series, then came back as hitting coach. Mm-hmm. I remember that, so... I'm amazed. Anyways, at, I'm amazed I, at Lou Pinello. Though. Like, I, I am surprised. Like, Lou Pinello was oh. is like and one of the great characters of the sport. Look right? a baseball manager in the Addiction. dictionary, and that's him. Well like, yeah, come on, absolutely. Errors and omissions from Friday's program and beyond uh, didn't actually 
reveal Frank Cerevelli's nickname, according to our buddy David Quadrelli in Canucks Conversation. They call him DFO Daddy. Yeah, it's really he awkward. Doesn't, uh, yeah. He doesn't. Uh, uh, the name of the referee in that Dallas-Seattle game was Cleet Blakeman. And it was 257 combined yards and penalties. We didn't actually specify either. I wanted to get back to that. Cleet Blakeman. Not Cletus. Maybe that's the long form. He goes Cleet for short. And when we uh, talk about... He plays the banjo. <laughs> was he not on Hee Haw? Must have been. <laughs> And when we were discussing Sophie Schmidt last week, uh, who is also retiring here for Canada soccer and the women's national team, should have mentioned she had retired and then unretired to come back and be part of yes. all these yes. uh, festivities. All right. Time for our Betway bets of the day. Blake, I could hardly believe my eyes when I saw the total for Thursday night football between the New England Patriots, who score no points and give up six, Sunday and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who will be without quarterback Kenny Pickett, ankle surgery after leaving the game Sunday. Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback for the Steelers. Relatedly, the under is set at 31 and a half points That's for tapping. this game. Tapping. Is Iowa playing this game? And I hate to do it, but I am rooting for futility. I am rooting for Gong Show. Give me under Thursday night football, 31 and a half on your Betway bet of the day. They should just lean into it and say no forward passes in this game. Like, mm -hmm. just lean into it. Well, Belichick it. had that game a couple of years ago against Buffalo. Yeah. Remember when the wind was up, he wouldn't let Mac Jones throw the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, there could be a barn burner tomorrow in the association. Uh, battle for top spot. is a three-way battle for top spot right now. And two of them are the Suns and the Lakers in that division. Um, take the visiting Suns at 205. Good value there against the Lakers team that can be good or bad. Must be 19-plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us, Rinkwide, and Connects Conversation wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.